we don't normally think of judgment and love going together. And yet, in a way, that seems to be what happens in our first reading today from the prophet Malachi. Lo, the day is coming blazing like an oven, when all the proud and all evildoers will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, leaving them neither root nor branch, says the Lord of hosts. But for you who fear my name, there will arise the sun of justice with its healing rays. And so for both the wicked and the righteous, there's an encounter with this sort of light and, and heat. It's phrased as an oven for the evil and as a sun of justice with healing rays for the good. But I think it's interesting that Scripture connects these two things in one sort of similar metaphor, love and justice, both of this sort of fire. In fact, Jesus does this too in several places. So in Luke chapter 12, he says, I've come to set fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. And yet he says, again, in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. So we have this one image of fire for God's love, which he wants to set the world on fire with, and for his wrath in hell. Fire for both. And I think the fact that Jesus uses this one image for both is intentional. Everything he does, he does for us. And so why does he want to have this one sort of image be associated with two of the most different things that there are? Seemingly, love and judgment. And I think they seem so different because we tend to love being loved and we tend to hate being judged. And those are two sort of very different experiences for us. I think the first sort of question is to think about more about judgment. What does that mean? So, so to judge something means to evaluate it by some kind of, of standard. And I think so often in life, the judgment of others seems sort of arbitrary and, and capricious, you know, that the rule that is used to measure us is not truth or real goodness, but just, you know, one's desires. And this is true of ourselves and how we judge lots of different things. One of my favorite scenes from The Simpsons is the April Fool's episode where Bart takes a, a can of Homer's beer, his father's beer, and has it shaken up in a paint shaker and he puts it in the fridge, and it has so much tension, and it's shaking as it sits on the shelf. Of course, Homer goes to the fridge and cracks open the can. Boom, the windows blow out, the roof goes off, and there's this mushroom cloud of beer over the house in, in Springfield. And it immediately cuts to this scene of this, this squad car where uh, Officer Lou is driving, and, and Wiggum is sort of napping in the shotgun seat. <laughs> and, Lou, and Lou says, hey, Chief, I think there was an explosion at the old Simpson place. It's nothing. That's two blocks away. I think there's beer coming out of the chimney. I'm going in on foot. Call for backup. <laughs> you know, so total, total 180. Beer coming out of the chimney. Chief is there, you know, right when you need him. And I think it's a nice image of how, how much so much of life seems and so many of our judgments and, and the judgments of others look. But that, that shouldn't be what God's judgment is like. I think oftentimes... 
people associate God's judgment with a sort of arbitrary, like, mm, how am I feeling today? How am I going to judge this person? But God is truth. That's what Jesus says. I am the truth. And so I think God's judgment is something sort of altogether uh, different. And it's interesting to note, you know, as much as we say, we, you know, you know, don't judge me. I mean, I've heard that a number of times. My standard response is twofold. The first is too late. And, <laughs> and the second is, I don't need to. You've already judged yourself. Because that is the truth. When we're worried about being judged, we've already judged ourselves. We already know we're guilty of sin. But the interesting thing is, we, we don't like that sort of judgment. But we never mind judgment when it's in our favor. First prize in the singing competition. Oh, thank you. I have a lovely voice, don't I? Yes. You know? We never mind that, you know? Someone asks us out on a date. It's like, well, you have excellent taste in men, don't you? You know? <laughs> we never mind the good judgments. Um, but, but when the breakup happens, whew, normally we don't take that with the same equanimity and peace and joy. So what is it, what is this, um, what does it mean to be judged in a sense by, by God? And I think at the end of the day, what, what happens when, when we go before God for judgment, you know, that's often how scripture talks about it, going before him for judgment, that we sort of get to meet him. And I think the, the act of judgment in many ways is the simple meeting of the two that he who is truth and goodness reveals the truth and goodness of the one before him or where it's absent. And so it's the encounter with God that, that brings about judgment. And it can bring about the, the feeling of judgment in us and, of course, sort of his, his judgment as, as the judge of the world. And so there's, that's why, you know, uh, I've talked before about, about sloth. You know, sloth is the deadly sin, the aversion from God. We don't want to be around him. And I think one of the reasons is because even in this life, you know, forget the last day Jesus comes in glory and uh, sets everything right, sort of final judgment. But even in, in this life, we can, we can feel that judgment, good and bad, here and now as we draw closer to him in prayer, you know? And that's why, um, you know, the experience of prayer can be so different for people. And even for ourselves at various times in our life, that sometimes when we go to prayer, what comes up, bubbling up, is our sins, the way we failed, the things we don't feel so good about, the things that we forgot slash intentionally did not mention in confession. Or it can be the experience of profound love and acceptance and appreciation of oneself and one's goodness that's there. And part of that, I think, really depends on what is it that we need at that time. But in terms of what sort of judgment looks like, you know, sort of in a, in a fuller sort of sense, Think of this incident that one of my Dominican brothers told me about. True story. 
um, where he was working in a hospice, and which is you know a place for the dying to prepare them for death, make them comfortable, um, but really sort of beyond medical care and treatment at that point. So one day this this brother was uh, doing ministry in in a hospice, and he came home and he told me about this day that he had, um, and he had these two two people in rooms right next to each other, these two men, uh, older men, about the same age. Um, both, uh, both had been estranged from their immediate families for a very long time. And both of them also had been estranged from the church, you know, stayed away from the sacraments and mass and didn't pray. And so he's talking to, to both of them, you know, uh, in this time, in, the, in this week. And he had this, this experience on one day. You know, one of the men... Uh, finally decided, you know, he really needed to reconcile with his family. And I don't remember all the details if, if he needed to be forgiven something or if he needed to forgive someone or what, probably both. Um, but he decided he was going to do it. And you know, he called them up and, and they came and there was this, you know, very beautiful and tearful reunion as he lay dying. And, and he said he wanted to go to confession, so Dominican brother got him a, a priest and when a confession, received the Holy Communion. And it's a beautiful, beautiful sort of death, you know, surrounded by family um, that he had been reconciled to, at peace with God, finally. And while that is happening, with this one man, with the other man in the room right next door, same situation, refused to be reconciled, would not call his family, Absolutely did not want to see a priest. None of that. And my brother told me that, you know, I mean, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he was praying for the man. And he said, you know, there was one point he was, he was standing outside this guy's room. I think it was on the day he died. And he was praying the rosary outside his room. And he heard from inside the room the man screaming. And he said, I can feel the fires of hell. I can smell the sulfur. You know, and he's an absolute agony as he's lying there dying and, and the brothers outside praying for him. So two men, similar situations, estranged from family and from God, and yet two profoundly different experiences of judgment. And they both experienced judgment. So obviously the man who, who did not want to reconcile, you know, experienced judgment and the terrible sort of force of it. But also, I think it's easy to miss the judgment that the other man experienced as well. The judgment that all this fighting that I've been doing with my family for all these years, worthless. We need to stop this. You know, I need to, I need to either lose my pride and, and ask for, hum, uh, uh, for, for forgiveness. I need to get rid of my wrath and forgive those who have wronged me. Um, I need to apologize to God for not praying for 30 years or whatever. And so there is, even in the man who's experienced this very beautiful reconciliation and this beautiful peace, there is an encounter with judgment, with God's revelation of what's really going on in his life. But it's so profoundly different. Why? Because at the same time that he's accepting God's judgment and that God's judgment is being made manifest to him, he's also accepting God's mercy. 
And that too is present in God's justice. That God is truth. When we encounter him, he reveals who we are. And he reveals our, our virtues and the good that is there, but also our vices and our sins. But that truth is in reality the same thing as who God is, who is love itself. And that's why when we accept that part of the experience as well, not just God is truth, but God is love, it profoundly changes the experience of God's judgment of us. And I think it's just interesting to note, you know, the ancient Christian advice rule of St. Benedict, you know, keep death always before you. I think it's interesting that why was it that this one, this one man who had been unreconciled for so long and finally came back, that it was on his deathbed that he did so? I think it's, it's not that death that judges us in and of itself, but, but impending death helps strip away all the illusions we've clung to in life and all the false ways that we've constructed reality in our own minds. And it shows us things it doesn't show us things as they really are, but it, it takes away all the nonsense. And that allows God's presence to change and show us what is really good and beautiful and true. So what does this mean, practically? You know, if God's, if God's judgment and his mercy come together, if his truth and his love are always present together, how does that change our lives? I think the first thing that it means is welcoming God's judgment. Sounds sort of weird, but to actually welcome God's judgment, and that's in Scripture, Psalm 141. When the just man strikes me, I take his rebuke as kindness. One of my favorite lines from the Psalms. When, when, when the just man strikes me, I take his rebuke as kindness. In a way, it's, I think it's sort of a scriptural version of, well, if you can't beat him, join him. You know, if you, can't, if you can't beat God, if you can't escape his truth, well, might as well just go over to the other side. You know, come to the light. And I had an experience, I think, of welcoming God's judgment, actually, Friday. Um, so Friday was the Feast of St. Albert the Great. Uh, I'm a Dominican of the province of St. Albert the Great, so uh, it's a big feast day. Um, I thought it was a solemnity, which I thought meant we started celebrating it on, on Thursday night, and so as part of the celebration, I was like, well, I'm going to have a beer, Saint Albert, celebrate St. Albert. He's German, why not? It's appropriate. <laughs> and during the dinner table discussion, I, fe- I found out it's not a solemnity, it's a feast, which means the party doesn't start until Friday morning. Um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a beer anyway. And my conscience like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. I was like, I'm going to have it anyway. It's been a long week. Hope students are difficult. So... <laughs> So I had my beer. One, be- one beer. I didn't get buzzed. I worked for two hours afterwards straight, you know. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't think I was affected at all until I, I woke up for morning prayer the next day for the Feast of St. Albert with that, a mild hangover. And I'm sitting in the chapel praying, like, why do I feel so hot? Why am I so uncomfortable? And why am I, like, pissed about everything? <laughs> and it was like, this is a hangover. And this is God punishing you for your sins. And honestly, I thanked God when I realized that I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for teaching me that I need to listen to you, even in the little things. So welcome, welcome God's judgment. 
that when he rebukes us, it's not because he likes to see us squirm or suffer. It's because he loves us and, and he wants us to hear his voice all the time. And in addition to welcoming God's judgment, the second thing we need to do is repent and to change. Uh, Padre Pio, Saint, Saint Pio of Peltrocina, was an Italian saint from the 20th century and uh, was known as a great confessor. People come from all over the world so he'd hear their confession and he'd give them all this sage advice and blah, blah, blah. Well, towards the end of his life, Saint Pio kind of whittled down his advice to people coming to confession to a very, very short sort of idea. Change your life. Change your life. You know, people wanted all this sage advice, you know, dealing with their particular situation. Change your life. That's it. Just change your life. That was it. And I think that sort of simple acceptance is, is really important. I got, I got two emails this semester um, from people um, asking for, for confession. Um, uh, names will be kept hidden to protect the guilty. But they had two epic subject lines. Uh, the first was, I am a sinner and I want to fix that. And the other was, I need confession and I need to stop pretending that I don't. I was like, that's awesome. That's so beautiful, you know? And that's what it means to accept God's judgment and then also to accept his mercy in confession. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take a moment to invite God's justice and mercy into your lives. Ask for his, his truth and his goodness. And ask him, Lord, show me what I need to see about my life. 